Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All Things Podcast, episode number 37, When to Start. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. What have you been up to this week, Mike? Hey, Matt. So this week's been a big week for us. Uh, we finally hit 1,000 Instagram followers. I mean, I say Woo! finally, but it's, it's, been, <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty quick, uh, less than a year. So thank you to everyone that has followed us on there. Thank you to everyone that has been listening to the podcast. It is also doing great. Um, and really we're just excited to keep making episodes. We're happy that everyone's listening. And, uh, again, to, to kind of help us out, the only, the best way to help us out really is to, you know, tell all your friends about us that you think would benefit from a podcast like this. Uh, give us a review and a follow on Apple podcasts or Spotify or any of the platforms that you're listening to this on. Those are the things that really help us the most. Um, and if you want to help us even more, uh, you can check us out on Patreon. Uh, I think it's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. That's and uh, yeah, and we'll have some new and exciting information on that front as well. Uh, with that, we have started getting stickers, uh, HTML, all the things stickers. So I got my first batch this week just to do a test run. Um, looking pretty good. We have some variations in mind for the future. Uh, so keep, We'll keep you posted, definitely on Instagram, maybe on Twitter. So, you know, follow us on all those things. Get ready. Get ready for some crazy branded HTML things content because we have some ideas, that's for sure. Uh, what about you, Matt? Uh, so same kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So been uh, obviously super excited that everyone's following us on there. So another thank you to everyone who's following us on Instagram and all the other channels. Uh, and so we've been kind of working on uh, more, you know, verbally and just kind of discussing, but we've been more, you know, kind of discussing some of the branding stuff that we need to sort of get more stickers and get better stickers and that type of thing. So that's been a big conversation and I'm sure will be a big conversation for probably at least a month or so until we kind of get things sorted. Uh, we've also had some conversations on and none of this is set in stone, but Mike kind of mentioned it briefly there is we're trying to get some more stuff onto the Patreon. So we want it to be more of a more of a place where you could maybe get something, hopefully, um, maybe some stickers or maybe something else. We're not hundred percent sure right now. It's just sort of like you could go there and you can pay for, uh, you can, I think there's like the $1 tier. And then there's like another tier for like, if you want to be on the podcast, like getting, you know, promoted, uh, in there with your link and your name. And there's a couple others, you can go and check the actual Patreon page, um, but it's just kind of like it's just kind of like very entry level stuff, obviously. Um, so we were kind of looking at maybe getting more of a, I want. I keep wanting to say the word like a club, but it's not a club. It's just sort of something something that we want our, our viewers to actually have, and like is a bit more of a connection to us, as well as uh, we do want to kind of get going on our community. So we, Mike and I, have had this discussion two weeks ago. Unfortunately, like I said, I was at that doing a bunch of family stuff, and I still am, but. Um, we're working on that discord. So the discord would have been long done. Should I had, should have, uh, should I have, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say that, but anyway, <laughs> should I have not had to leave? Hopefully that's said correctly. Anyway, <laughs> Jesus. But anyway, yeah. So if I had, if I didn't have to leave, um, then the discord would have been all set up and everything. Cause I got all the channels and stuff all done. So I'm going to start working on that. Hopefully this week, I'm still playing catch up this week. I still got some family stuff to deal with this week as well, but I'm, I am very rapidly getting back into it today. It was a full day of work, et cetera. So hopefully, 
hopefully we get the discord up and then because we really want to start kind of building up a community of uh, kind of like-minded developers and people who are just maybe just even interested in the in the industry just want to chat about the industry just want to chat about tech whatever uh, and we'll be kind of posting that type of stuff and they will there will hopefully be a discord reward on there as well maybe like a you know unique patreon uh, channel or whatever they call it on discord just sort of like how you see on other on other uh like pa- patreon people i don't know what the term is for patreon i never know what it is it's like the people who pay are the patrons and mm-hmm. then do you call the people patreons or do you call them creators i think maybe you just call them creators probably creators yeah uh, creators so yeah so just like you maybe see on other creators uh discords that's sort of what we're probably going to be doing too just sort of a run-of-the-mill uh just kind of sticking with the sort of industry standard if you will in that regard but Right now, you're here for the podcast, and let's discuss that. So, this episode, kind of in, uh, kind of in light of uh, the episode where we talked about PWAs, it kind of touches on a little bit of uh, back in the day we did a uh, where or uh, uh, how to get started episode, uh, and then and and then more recently we also did an episode about advanced topics. So it's kind of touching on all of those things because when to start is a great question when dealing with advanced topics. Uh, we have a PWA story about that because we more more recently did that. And then, of course, this goes hand-in-hand with that other Getting Started episode that we did way back in the day, whatever it was called. So, in this episode, we're going to be discussing, and I'll go through the segments here with a brief summary. So, segment number one is just appropriately named when to start going to be kind of describing what we mean by you know get started getting started why are you getting started why are people getting hooked up on stuff that type of stuff that's going to be in segment number one and then there's different processes that people take when it comes to getting started on something and so mike and i did our own segment so i have uh segment number two here which is matt's process and that's literally just going to be my process of how to get started Uh, i kind of do like a real brief summary of it mike's is a little bit more structured just because i'm going to be introducing that first segment to you so segment number three as i already mentioned is uh, mike's process and that's much more structured uh with proper steps and that type of thing and and a more detailed look at exactly what he does uh, to get started on some things and then this web news and we've covered this partially and uh fully in different contexts is apple so web news this week is named is is is, is entitled apple and i haven't read the web news at all i know mike was kind of excited to introduce it and that type of thing so i have the show notes here but i have not read them mike's going to be introducing and talking about that um, get ready and and telling some pretty hilarious stories i do know the one story one technical story uh that he experienced so let's uh (laughs) let's get this started so segment number one when to start. So one of the things you'll hear as an entrepreneur, and we've mentioned this on the show several times, is to quote unquote, just start. And this means that instead of being bogged down by, you know, some what ifs or like, you know, can I do this, etc, etc, you should just jump in and get started on whatever it is you're working on. So a prime example would be that a, a would be entrepreneur gets stuck reading into the basics of how to start a business, you know, what pitfalls could happen, what issues may occur, etc, etc. They get all wrapped up in all those issues. And while it is a good thing for sure to be prepared, you could read for years upon years and still have things to flip through, different guides, different, you know, editorials, and more stuff's coming out all the time about business. So it's generally better to understand the basics, in our opinion, and then do your best to cover all the bases that you, you know, desperately need to, and then just kind of start. And this kind of avoids that paranoia of reading all the laws and all the issues that every everyone has fallen into in the past. And, and of course, like I want to reiterate here, definitely read and understand these things. But there is a point where you've read enough and it's time to take action. 
There's no way you can cover every base all the time. And if you try to do that, you'll never get started because the industries are changing, laws are changing, everything. Just make sure, you know, that you're, you know, we're in, you're in between the lines. You're not breaking any major laws, that type of thing, and just kind of go with it. And every place, every place's uh, like laws and regulations and uh, um, whatever else they would call it, any sort of business enforcement, I suppose it is, is all different. So make sure you do absolutely familiarize yourself with that um, and maybe consult a professional if you're unsure about that type of stuff as well. Now, to reiterate that, keep in mind that being cautious is not a bad thing either. You know, if you think that, you know, you're about to make a new app and you're questioning like, oh, maybe it breaks, you know, maybe it's a little bit out of the realm of these two regulations in my country, or maybe it, you know, kind of, it's kind of like in the gray area of the law or something like that. Maybe it's something to do with copyrights or, you know, something, maybe you're using images that you're unsure if you're allowed to, whatever the heck it is, you know, there's tons and tons of situations you can get yourself in. If you think that you might be uh, hitting, you know, bumping up against any of those walls, you know, do kind of hesitate for those things. You know, definitely, you know, check out what you're doing. Make sure that you're operating within the law in your uh, in your country or your region or whatever it is. Make sure that you're doing things legally. And the one thing I do want to say, though, is with these legal concerns, don't get bogged down for years without acting, you know, so otherwise your competition is just going to fly by you. You know, sometimes you will get bogged down on something and, you know, it's mandatory at that point, but if you're just like, if you're just like really worried about like, oh, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. I don't know about this. You know, maybe, and you know, maybe you should just go ahead sometimes. It's one of those things. And the best way that we know to check if you're allowed to go ahead with stuff like this. And we do this with all kinds of stuff with our accounting, because we are totally unaware of how to do taxes and that type of thing is we just go to a professional. So in this case, you would go to a lawyer and you know, they, some of them are, I mean, in Canada, some of them are free uh, for a consultation, some aren't some whatever. So you do have to check into that. But if you're unsure and you want to make sure you're legal, which you should make sure that what you're doing is legal. Uh, you definitely should just talk to a lawyer, get them to explain, you know, the law, which is a complex thing to you in an everyday term. So you have the peace of mind so you can just kind of go forward. So whether that costs you a few dollars or whether it was a free consultation, whatever, you know, if, if you know, it, it prevents you from potentially getting fined or something like that. So just make sure you know what you're doing, but don't get bogged down in it. Don't sit there and try to learn like law. There's people there. There's people there, specifically lawyers in this case, which can help you. So definitely talk to them if you need help with this type of stuff. So now that that kind of stuff's out of the way, uh, so you, let's say you started your business or whatever, there are other ways you can get bogged down in getting started as well. So specifically, if you're ready to get programming on your new app, so maybe it's a new app, a new website, uh, whatever program you're working on, you're working on maybe a Windows application, whatever it is, you're bound to hit another wall and that is the learning curve. So Beyond all that legal stuff, unless you're experienced in everything your project needs, you'll end up hitting a lot of walls. Maybe you don't even know where to start. Uh, and this is another major point of contention that people get stuck in. Let's say that you want to make a PWA, so a progressive web app, and you're not experienced at all with service workers, a situation that we recently found ourselves in. And you could read example after example, look at tons of different solutions, different plugins, even try different programming languages. And by the end of the day, you're just reading up on what you want to be doing. You're not doing what you want to be doing. So obviously guides, tutorials, and research do go a long way and they're, they are very, very valuable, but it's easy to get stuck reading through a plethora of different ways that you can implement a solution for your given app or, for, or your whatever project it is. And furthermore, if it's a passion project, you want to make sure that you're using the very best solution that you can. So generally you can get bogged down in there where you just keep looking through different solutions, different options over and over and over again, and never actually start making that service worker. So 
it, and that's in our example, of course, because we recently were working on service workers. So make sure you don't get, make sure you just don't get bogged down. This is another major area where you just need to quote unquote, just start, learn a little bit and just get going. So the, the time differs. So like some people might ask right now, like, well, how do I know when to stop reading? Like you said, guides are useful. Like, you know, do I read one guide and just go, do I read 10 guides, just go, whatever it is. The time in this particular case does differ from person to person and from project to project for that matter. But by the, but at the end of the day, you need or want uh, to make that deliverable, that project, that exa- that app, whatever it is. And we're all just human. So it's not going to be perfect even if you're a beginner. So if it's a passion project and you're sitting there striving for perfection, make it good, you know, make it so that you're happy with it, but nothing's ever going to be perfect. And at this point, what I would kind of suggest is like a blanket term is to read up enough so you can navigate Google searches on whatever it is you're researching and then just start making it. So with service workers, we read enough that I was able to say like, oh, I'm having trouble with the promise of this, or I'm having trouble with uh, like, this isn't booting up or I'm having trouble with, you know, Vue.js isn't doing this, et cetera, et cetera. I was able enough, I was able to have enough knowledge of the terms and the understanding where I could read solutions and search for solutions. And then I was learning that way. So, uh, that, um, so basically if you end up pivoting, so if you, you know, let's say you read 10, 15 guides or you read two guides, it doesn't matter. Like I said, difference from person to person and you want to just dive in and you do dive in and you end up having to pivot a few times. Who cares? As long as you keep moving towards that goal, uh, that deliverable finishing up with that thing. And the one thing that people really need to keep in mind as well is that you'll end up learning way more, uh, working on the solution rather than just reading about it. So just kind of like how, you know, you might, you might have a, let's say you have a school program that has, you know, a certain amount of class time and then a certain amount of co-op time. A lot of the time people will say, well, you know, I was at co-op time a quarter of the amount of hours I was in class, but I learned so much during that co-op, like it's so much more in a quarter of the time. It's kind of the same thing here, right? It's, it's instead of you constantly reading and not really retaining too much about service workers in our case, like I said, in, in our example, just constantly like reading, reading and reading and reading different ways to implement service workers. It, it, it definitely benefits you to like read enough, start working on it, hit a wall, research that, and you'll remember it because you're, you're interacting with it. You're working with it. You're doing it. And that'll really help uh, with that type of stuff. And as I said, the quote unquote, just start point is different for each person. And it's also different. Like I said, again, for each project. So in the next two segments, um, the next two segments, Mike and I'll be going through our particular, uh, our particular procedures on how exactly we kind of navigate this sort of landscape. And, uh, even though you've heard me talk for a while now, I'm going to go on to my segment, segment number two, Matt's process, unlike, unless Mike has any comments about that first one. I uh, just want to reiterate the whole um, legal, legal issues and stuff like that. I know it doesn't seem probably that web developers would have to worry about it too, too much. There are certain situations where you would. Uh, I think what we got tied up on and why we kind of bring it up is if you're in kind of a in-between web developer and IT segment. So like stuff like loss of data, uh, stuff stuff like that is, is is a little bit intimidating. So when you get a, li- a little bit more clarity from someone that knows this business uh, from a legal standpoint it makes you feel a little less anxious about starting something like that uh, again and this is in reference to like losing someone's data what what's the legal reper- repercussions of that uh, I think for us as well was uh, if we were doing IT and going into someone's homes 
in someone's home, what's the repercussions of us breaking something in someone's home and stuff. So those are the kinds of questions we asked. And once we got our answers, we were kind of, you know, satisfied and continued on. But for, for the most part, if you're just doing a simple, you know, website or design, don't get, don't get, like Matt said, don't get bogged down in a legal, you know, legal questions. Don't think that every single web developer needs to go through this process of talking to a lawyer. Um, but again, if you have those issues, it's better to go to a lawyer than to sit down in a, li- in a library of Congress and read 150 books on the legality of everything that you're doing because you're just wasting time and you're kind of delaying yourself from moving on to the more important stuff in, in your life. So, yeah, that, I just wanted to reiterate that. I thought Matt brought up a good point there. Yeah, for sure. And and I think that is one thing. I mean, I'm going to mention it here, too, as well. But that's one thing that we really struggled with when we started our business when we were originally going to be doing an IT business, and then we went to more web development, we definitely thought it was more of a legal procedure just because we didn't know the procedure at all. So we just kind of assumed, oh, it must be this big legal proceeding to get registered as a business and this, that, and the other thing. And we found out, you know, yeah, there's some stuff you have to do. Of course, you're registering a business, but at least in Canada anyway, uh, when we did it, it really wasn't that bad. It was like an online application. And, you know, for the most part, we were open for business. We didn't even have, I didn't even have accounting software. Uh, we just kind of kept everything in an Excel. And of course, you know, your mileage may vary. Your country obviously has different laws, different procedures and that type of thing, which you definitely need to read up on. Uh, but, you know, in general, uh, in general, and I, and I do mean in general, countries do want businesses to open up. And uh, so, and especially in Canada's case, they're they're willing to make that procedure easy because they know that when businesses start making money, they obviously make, you know, tax money to be blunt. So, uh, again, it depends on your country. Obviously, check those check those uh, obviously check those regulations and laws in your country. But in general, you know, once you figure out what the procedure is, at least in our case, the procedure really wasn't as bad as we thought at all. And we just ended up, we ended up getting started. So I'll, I'll kind of use that as a transition to kind of jump right into this second segment here. Um, and I'll just kind of reiterate some of this. So when we first started our business, we had a hard time trying to figure out exactly what we needed to do. And uh, we weren't sure whether we needed a, you know, we weren't sure whether you needed a lawyer or if you needed to declare your business somewhere. And, you know, there, nothing in our schooling really covered this type of thing. I took a business course in high school and they covered things like, you know, different types of businesses like partnerships, corporations, etc. Those are the kind of like the legal names. Uh, but we just didn't really know how to you know kick it off like what form do i sign do i even sign a form like what do we do so we ended up calling a few places and a lot of them really didn't get back to us and then we ended up having a, a meeting with a lawyer which gave us some information on opening uh what we were planning on the time we were, what we were planning at the time was an it business and that kind of like like that goal kind of changed eventually like we got a bunch of that information and we were like oh, okay you know that's great whatever we kind of mold over it and then an opportunity opened up we and we've covered this in depth in a previous episode but you know we wanted to we decided from that opportunity that we wanted to uh go into uh, web development and that was like a big pivot of us so when we did that or big pivot for us rather and so when we did that we ended up finding just you know just a business advisor and they took us through the procedure uh they told us you know this is how you do it. This is, this is what happens. You know, if you want to do it this way, this is how much this costs. If you do it this way, just real basic stuff that we needed so that we could start the procedure. We weren't paying them to start the procedure. It was a free consultation and they helped us out with that. Uh, and, uh, full disclosure, we're still with them. Uh, today they do all of our accounting stuff like that. And we obviously pay them for that. Uh, but those free consultations in the beginning were monumentally helpful because they got us to be, Oh, we got to go to this website, register here. We got to go here make sure we keep these records, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they've helped us grow as well with, you know, getting different accounting software eventually as we became more popular and that type of stuff. So, 
you know, find a find a good business advisor is really my my suggestion there. But uh, anyway, uh, we've mentioned this origin story in the past episode, and basically what I'm trying to get at in in relation to this episode is that we got bogged down clearly in the beginning, but we kept pushing through and eventually just just got started. So, and it was later than we wanted. Like, I think we wanted to register like two or three months before we ended up actually doing it, but we still eventually got the job done. And getting bogged down, especially if you're doing something that's low effort, like if it's going to be your, just your side hustle or something like that, and you really don't want to spend much time on it. Of course, you're going to be having problems with, uh, of course you're going to be having problems because you, you're, you're going to get bogged down and you're just not going to read the papers. You're not going to be pushing as hard as it is. So sometimes like, like we said, just get started, just get going. Uh, and that's that push that we needed. So in the, in terms of a web development project, um, so if you take it out of the business side, in terms of a web development project, one of the more recent examples that we've mentioned, and I've mentioned this over and over again, is that we learned about service workers recently, which resulted in us getting bogged down or me, me in particular, we got bogged down in my research. And the procedure for this was basically I Googled service workers and I read up on the very basics. So, you know, learn how, learn how they work, learn how to implement them at a very high level. So I know what tools I'll need at my disposal. Um, unfortunately, since service workers are complex, I was completely, and I was completely new to them. I had to read up on some related topics. So things like, you know, JavaScript workers, promises, those type of things. And that gave me like a bit of useful background information. And then I had to figure out, you know, how to get service workers to work with Vue.js. And I don't want to get into this like too much because we did cover this a lot, but what, what this is, is this story really touches on what this episode is trying to talk about. And that is dealing with advanced topics or, you know, complex topics are particularly easy to get bogged down into because there are a lot of variables that you as a beginner will not be aware of and will be tempted to read up on, um, leading to the loop of constant research. So when we were learning CSS or when I was learning CSS, I did get bogged down, of course, a little bit, but at the, for the most part, it's like, if you're using Flexbox, this is the solution. If you're using block, you know, display block, this is the solution. If you, you know, if you're having trouble doing transitions, this is the solution. And there's a few different solutions, but for the most part, it's the results are just straight up visual and you can see that. And it, you, you know, you don't really get bogged down here, but with these more advanced topics, it's really easy to get bogged down. Um, so what I basically started doing to get myself out of this is I, I started instead of doing more general research, I started narrowing that research from those initial general searches down to my particular situation, which was using service workers with Vue.js. And that more specific research led me to a few examples that I was able to implement into my testing, which eventually led us to the solution that we're working on now. So just slowly, you know, kind of chipping away at the research, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And then eventually it's like, aha, I like this example, you know, more or less, let's copy paste this. Oh, it does work. Okay. Now let's, you know, let's modify the whole example. Let's redo the example so that it works in my, in my scenario. And, you know, let's use a couple of guides that complement it and let's put it all together. And obviously there's errors there. And that's kind of how we got our partially working model, uh, where it is right now. So that's one way to get out of it is, you know, you're not confident enough to quit completely quit researching. Well, then don't, but start narrowing that research because eventually you're going to be doing a lot of overlap. And that leads me to my next point, which is one of the telltale signs that I've read too much is that my bookmarks or the resources that I have set aside, uh, they have a lot of overlapping information. And obviously there's going to be some overlap. You're talking about the same subjects, but if I ever find myself bookmarking a variety of resources that essentially, you know, quote unquote, read in circles, um, or if they're covering the exact same topics, but in a slightly different way, 
then I'll generally at that point be like, okay, I've read, like I'm literally like quite literally reading in a circle and I'm, I'm generally going to stop researching and I'm going to start implementing with some of those examples that I've inevitably bookmarked. And that's kind of my procedure um, with this type of stuff. Like I said, for the most part with UI stuff, uh, I, I kind of have a more direct solution, but when I'm dealing with these more advanced topics, this is how I do it. Uh, and it really helps me kind of get off of the, the reading train because I remember I was reading pro- beating about promises because I don't really do much JS. And so I was reading about promises. And then when I was reading about, when reading about that, they were like, oh, you can you know learn more about promises in this, like, you know, go to this guide. And it's like a 200 page guide or whatever. And there's, you know, you could read about promises for days from what I could tell. And it's like, well, that's just one part. That's not even service workers. That's just a part of this thing. You know, this is like a big, this is, this is now becoming a big topic. So yeah. So kind of like, like, get off of the research, narrow it down. And soon enough, you'll be like, Oh, I don't want to read anymore. I just want to do it. And that's kind of what you want to force yourself to do. So I'm going to kind of pass it off to Mike now, unless he has any other comment to talk about his particular process. Yeah, I think I'll just move on to my process because it'll kind of overlap anyway. Um, but for for my process, uh, it's it's going to be more talking about the technical aspect, uh, less business side. So I think you covered the business side really well, Matt. Um, and you deal with most of those decisions at this point anyway. Uh, so you're, you're more of a authority on that figure. So l- listen to Matt, everyone <laughs> on, on the business side, but I'll go into kind of my, it's a four step process, but it can obviously be extrapolated into a little bit more of a comp- complex situation, but I'll, I'll make, give you the most basic rundown of how I approach starting, uh, as quickly as I possibly can into a new technology or a new library or a new framework. So the first thing I do is a feasibility assessment. So I, if I have a task assigned to me uh, I and I find something that I see could perform that task, um, and I'm not going to go into how I find something new and stuff because we ha- we've had episodes on that before as well. But essentially, I found something that I, I think will will do what, what I wanted to do. I do a feasibility assessment. So can the chosen technology, plugin, library, framework, etc., accomplish the set current and future goals of the application? So again, that key word there is future goals as well. Uh, so make sure that if you if you're talking to your client, you let them know, you you ask them specifically, what do you want this application to do in the future? And not just now, like I know you want the bare minimum maybe now, or you want like a, a MVP, most viable product right now. But down the line, would you be interested in implementing like features A, B, C, like a more complex, uh, you know, camera features, more complex uh, database features, stuff like that. So make sure that when you have that conversation right off the bat, you're choosing a technology that will fit the the customer's needs for not only current time, future time as well. So that's kind of the feasibility assessment. Um, the next thing I do is called a learning curve. Uh, so what I do here is I look at the technology and based on my current knowledge, how long will it take me to spin something up and to understand A, to get started with it, B, to accomplish my desired function, current functionality with it that I've outlined before in, in a requirements gathering method, and B, to optimize for the performance and then be able to ex- add extensibility to my project. So being able to add features down the line that maybe not are not part of uh, the, the current scope of things. So again, when you're you're assessing the learning curve, you want to make sure that you kind of have a grasp on 
the technology to begin with if if time is of the essence especially and if you want to get started as fast as possible and that's kind of the situation that i'm talking about um in my example so i'm going to talk about uh, talk through an example that i do so that i that we recently had to do it was uh pwas so for a company we had to create a kind of like a a a selling application for a company and our goal was to be on any platform that that company wants to be on and only maintain one code base. So PWA seemed like a very good option. Uh, and we went down a feasibility assessment. So that's that was step one with it and found out that we could do it in a PWA. And then step two with the learning curve, well, a PWA uh, is a standard HTML, CSS, JS, and then a small jump in complexity like Matt was talking about with service workers. So it's definitely... Uh, learnable and it's a quick start for sure because of that familiarity with the with the known languages if it was something like flutter which is a completely separate language dart language or something like uh, even uh view view native view js or what is it uh, native script or uh, view native um like i'm familiar with view but view native and native script use a different uh templating different view uh language it's it's more xml based it's more uh it's more in line with what the mobile devices are using. So that would be a higher learning curve and it would take me a lot longer to start and to be able to do the the, the needed tasks that I would need to do. So you kind of weigh those options. Like if you really want to do a more complex thing, if you have the time and the, and your customer has the, uh, the, the money to kind of pay to pay for it and the time to wait, then maybe it's better to do that. But if you're in a time constraint or in a budget constraint, then you got to do the thing that you're most familiar with that can accomplish that task. So anyway, in the, in this case, that would be the PWA. So step three would be just get started. Um, and I know this is kind of soon because really we haven't done too, too much, research on on the topic like we have i haven't done a lot of you know bookmarking important important functionality features really i've only figured out that this yes can accomplish what i need to do not how it can but what i do at step three is i literally start a project in my code editor uh, which in my case is vs code and i will start writing code right away so i'll get something like a hello world application up uh in a pwa context i'll get i'll just convert a product site into a PWA and see how it looks on a mobile device. I'll get I'll get started. I'll get the basics of the application as basic as I can get it and I'll understand the starting aspects of that technology. You know, if it's a library, I'll do something simple in the library like just instantiating it and compiling it, something like that. Um, but essentially what that gives you is a good base, a good base knowledge and, and a good start where where to ask the questions that need to be asked in the future. Um, because the next step is more research. So once you have that base, that knowledge of how to get started with the technology, you're going to have more insight into the Google searches that you're going to need to do to figure out your uh, the different methods and stuff like that and uh, and being able to apply it to your project. So again, now that you have a basic understanding, you can dive deeper into learning. Uh, and to do that, you can watch videos, read tutorials, 
whatever learning style works for you, everyone's different. Uh, I'm more of a video person. And what I always do is while I'm watching that video or reading that tutorial, I'll code along with them. I'll make sure, you know, in that project that I've just created, I'll kind of implement some of the features that they're implementing as well, just so I get a more grasp on the on the nuances of the application. Because watching and, and reading something is one thing, but you'll never understand and grasp these small little things that maybe you like to do in your code that the person that's giving you the tutorial doesn't do. And when you understand the limitations early on, you can overcome those limitations or worst case scenario, you go down this path. And since you're getting started so quickly and you're not bogging so much time into it, you can pivot to a different technology if you find you know that this one just cannot fit into your style of coding or into the functionality that you saw at the start that it could. Uh, those are the kinds of advantages that a rapid psych a rapid getting started cycle give you um and i've i've experienced many times where i have had to pivot and thankfully because i started so rapidly i didn't have to waste too much time or money um so that's kind of that, those are the kinds of quick things that i that i like to do um so and and when you're when you're doing obviously when you're doing the more research always do it with a goal uh, so for instance, trying to implement a feature on your roadmap uh, right away. So even though it seems kind of early to, you know, plan out a feature when you're just learning a technology, it's good to kind of take one of those and be like, okay, I want to plan out offline mode of a PWA. Uh, I want to see how the communication of the service worker will work with my actual application to be able to pass information back and forth if the application goes offline. So how will I, you know, re redo my API calls in a service worker? Uh, stuff like that. So be be cautious that your your time is money, and if you invest that time right away into a into a useful feature, you can then take that and put it when you actually start working on the whole feature set. And when you start planning out your project, you'll have a better idea of how long it'll take, uh, and you'll have a little bit of a of a break because one of the features is already built out. So that's kind of my those are the kinds of my sections of advice for starting out really quickly for when to start like you know my when to start is start right away pretty much you know just do the bare minimum amounts of work to make sure that you're not wasting your time but then when you get that get to that point go so again it's feasibility assessment judge the learning curve then get started uh, and then once you're started do some more research right after what right after getting started that's kind of like the, the cycle that I go through um, and I think I think that's really it that covers are when to start segments. Uh, I'll I'll ask Matt. Do you have any comments on that, or should I move on to the web news where I'm going to burn Apple to the ground? I'm really excited for this web news. If I'm blatantly honest. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to the web news. Um, so this web news is just blatantly labeled Apple. I just didn't want to do anything bad. Um, didn't didn't want to label them badly, but uh, essentially I've been having some issues with Apple, and that's what's going to be discussed now. So as I think everyone that's been listening to the podcast for more than a few episodes knows our main operating system is Windows. Um, unfortunately, uh, maybe a year or so ago, I had to buy a, a MacBook because I needed to compile iOS apps using Cordova and then debug them on a in Safari on an iPad. So there was no, there's no way to do that without a Mac. Um, you need Mac OS to be able to do that. Now, obviously, you can do other things to get Mac OS. But essentially, I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to buy a cheap MacBook 
and then I'll be able to compile, you know, this one-off application that we're working on. And then I'll, we'll, we'll also be able to use that MacBook for testing, et cetera, in the future. Uh, so it seemed like a, a smart investment at the time. It really didn't cost too much. I think it was like 500 uh, Canadian dollars, which isn't very much for you U.S. folk. Uh, it's probably like around $350, $400 U.S. Uh, it was a 2011 13-inch MacBook Pro. A little bit slow, did the job. I upgraded the hard drive to an SSD, which definitely accelerated things. Um, but the problem that I was starting to have recently is I thought it was going to be more of a one-off project. So I wasn't thinking that I would actually have to use it as a machine when I'm traveling or something like that. So I would just, you know, bring my Windows laptop with me wherever I would go. Uh, but what happened was, is the project kept evolving into more and more projects with iOS. So now I'm working a lot with iOS and iPads and I'm working less and less with just, you know, HTML5 web development. Uh, I'm working more more native than HTML5. Um, so that shifted me to the focus. So I had to bring that 13-inch laptop everywhere with me. So if I was, you know, uh, going to a coffee shop, I would usually have to go with a 13-inch laptop. If I was going on vacation, I would you have to go with that old MacBook. And it kind of hindered me because it's slow. It's it's an older processor. It's a dual-core i5 from, you know, uh, 2010 or something like that. It's a 3000 series i5. Not very fast. It only had four gigs of RAM. I could have upgraded that, but I just didn't want to spend any more money on it. And the, really the big thing for me was actually the screen real estate. So using, I have three screens right now going down to one screen at 13 inches was kind of really difficult for me. Uh, it, it really hindered my workflow. So the next step, and, and oh, actually the last big major problem that I had with that 2011 book was that it wasn't getting updated to the latest Mac OS Mojave. Now it had a lot of long update cycle. I'm not complaining about that. I think that's fine. Uh, but essentially what that meant was I couldn't install the new Xcode on it. It wasn't getting any more Xcode updates. And almost right away, and this was my assumption, I haven't actually told you this, Matt, but uh, I am, since my update, my iPad updated and all our clients' iPads are updated, I couldn't compile my application to that iPad with that old Xcode. So I just tried recently, <laughs> like a couple a couple of days ago, and that's it. So I like remember remember I told you I was like I'm worried that uh, Xcode won't update. I won't be able to keep up keep keep uh, updating my applications and keep working with the iPad that I have. Well, that turned out to be true right away. Like almost like what was it? Like six months down the line, they immediately cut off that <laughs> that ability. So I was right in that sense. Um, so what I had to do was I had to buy a late 2013. 15-inch MacBook Pro. Now, obviously, I didn't have to do this. Uh, I could have bought a brand new MacBook. I could have brought an iMac or I don't know. There, there was a million other things. I could have tried to, you know, put um, Mac OS Mojave on this one and still kind of hack my way through it. Uh, but I decided that a if I'm going to be using a, this as my main machine, I might as well get something a little bit bigger, a little bit more powerful. Uh, and when I say main machine, I mean main uh, portable machine. I'm still Mac, I'm still Windows on my desktop, I'm not going to be switching that anytime soon. Um, and that's mainly what I code on anyway. I'll do all my coding and stuff here, and then I'll test on my MacBook if I have to. Um, so with that, with that, I, I bought late 2013, 15 inch MacBook pro retina. Uh, it seemed to tick all the boxes that I needed. You know, I had a quad core processor. Uh, it has a bigger screen, higher resolution screen, that retina display. It's super nice. Keyboard's great. Uh, it has all the expansion that I need with uh, you know, 
the USB ports has 16 gigs of RAM. It has a, even a dedicated video card. I mean, I don't really need that for coding, but it's a nice to have. Um, so essentially, it really did tick all the boxes that I needed. And I went out and bought it, but the I had issues right away. So, and I don't know if this is a quality control thing with Macs, or it's just weird issues with Mac OS, or it's just kind of a... a, a Per, a, a degradation of Mac products down the line because it is old. I mean, 2013 is 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 how long? How long ago now? Like six years almost. Five years, four years, five years. Okay, let's say five years. <laughs> it's a five year old uh, device. So I mean, I, I guess from all the reviews I read, it should still be fine. But apparently there was something wrong. So the issue that I had was a system process called kernel task was taking up over 500 percent of my cpu <laughs> processing threads so it made the mac unusable and this would only happen and again this is a really weird and if anyone out there has this issue like i'm sure a, a lot of people use macbooks and maybe have this issue as well but what happened what would happen was when the computer would charge to 100 percent uh and then continue to be plugged in it would get this issue and i barely could use it like i like literally switching an application would be like a minute of time i <laughs> nothing would work because again some random kernel task like a kernel task is a system task that i can't actually kill because it's in control of like your heat and your uh monitor your heat monitoring your processor monitoring because control of a bunch of like really important things on your on your macbook would just take up all of the all of the processing power of that machine and it wouldn't let me do anything on it uh and i there was pretty much nothing i could do at that point uh what i realized was disconnecting the battery let it drain down a little bit would make the mac usable again uh, and later down the line, I actually did a battery recalibration by draining it to 0% and then charging it to 100%. And that seems to have fixed it, I think. Um, now, it works fine. I don't get that kernel task issue anymore. But what happens is I think my ma- my CPU is still power throttling at certain situations where like the, it will slow down if I have like Chrome open and Xcode open uh, pretty quickly it'll slow down especially if i'm now if i'm running off battery it'll slow down so it's like i i can't even i don't know what's happening with this thing and i don't know if like i don't know if there's a problem with it um i know it's not a heat issue i have checked the thermals i've been monitoring the the thermals they're completely fine i've i've put like a, a a fan monitoring program on there so i can actually customize the fan curves and get them to run faster that's been working fine. Like the heat, there's no heat issue. It to me sounds like an actual power throttling issue of the CPU. So like the CPU is not getting enough power to be able to boost up to its clocks. Maybe there's a chip dead or something. I don't know. Um, it's working okay right now. Like I, I say, it's definitely usable. It's not locking up like it used to with the 500% thing. But it's still, it still bothers me because it's like, why is there an issue? Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. So th- that's one thing that I kind of annoyed me so I, at one point when i was like i don't know what to do with this 500 like i can't even use this computer i was like okay well maybe i should just flat out go and buy a new macbook and that made that put me into a spot where i was like okay let's take a look at how much macbooks cost what the problems are with the current generations like are there any problems and i went down like a huge rabbit hole so the new macbooks are not good the new macbook pros in all essence of the word look to be a disaster from many, many different angles. So apparently they have issues with their screens uh, failing randomly uh, be, from random use. There's no like actual indication of 
the use that's causing it to die. We know why it's dying because of a little cable that they're using, but we don't know why it's causing it to die. Um, and there's no like indication of when it's going to happen. So it could happen a year down the line, two years down the line, three years down the line when you're out of warranty, it doesn't matter. So it could happen anytime. And the, then there's the same kind of issue with the keyboards where uh, your keyboard will get dust stuck underneath it. And then the, that key will just stop working again. So you have to get it replaced. But then what happens if three years down the line, like you want the, like your, your keyboard just dies randomly because it got dust stuck underneath it, then you can't use your MacBook anymore. And then the third thing is the price. So if these two issues were, you know, on a cheaper notebook that I would expect to, you know, change in two years while it's still under warranty, I could maybe get myself around that. Even then, even then it's kind of ridiculous because apparently the failure rates are extremely high on these things. Um, Like according to tech YouTubers and tech sources, they get five laptops. Three of those laptops usually have the issues within like six months. That's crazy to me. That's like usually tech YouTubers don't get issues because they get the best stuff if they're getting re- reviews, review units or be like if it's a small issue, they're not going to be experiencing it because only a certain subset of the community is going to experience it. Maybe only one of the tech YouTubers, but literally everyone is experiencing it. So obviously it's a huge issue. Apple's not, Apple has admitted that it's an issue. They haven't admitted to the extent of its of the issue. They've been replacing these things nonstop. So it to me, it sounds like the new MacBooks are an absolute disaster. So again, back to the price. To spec out a reasonable MacBook that I could use, you know, over three to five years, it would be well over 3000 Canadian dollars, uh, like well over, uh, probably more because the 15 inches are more expensive. But that to pay that for a quote unquote premium product, and then expect three years down the line to be, let's say, let's say you have an amazing product and it lasts two years without any issues. And then all of a sudden you get dust stuck underneath the keyboard three years down the line when you're out of Apple warranty, you're screwed. Like I know Apple warranty is great. They'll give you a new notebook on no problem. Uh, but like if you're out of Apple warranty, then you have to get it replaced. And these things are not replaceable. None of this, none of nothing inside of it is replaceable anymore. You can't replace the RAM. You can't replace the CPUs. You can't replace the, the like really the display replacements are really, really hard because of the T2 chip locking in uh any sort of replacements that you would put it like it's essentially impossible to repair unless you bring it to an Apple store and Apple stores do not have reasonable prices if you're out of warranty. So they're locking you into a situation where you have to buy a new MacBook. So the, the product like, and and I'm like, I was perplexed. I was like, what do I do? Do I buy a a newer old MacBook? Like what's the, the situation? Like, do I, you know, scrap this MacBooks? Do I buy a newer old MacBook? Do I go to a, to, do I just risk it on a newer MacBook for like $3,500 and just, you know, whatever, let's just do this. Um, I didn't, I, I still, I still don't really know what to do. I've decided to kind of salvage the one that I have right now. Again, it's kind of working still. So I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to salvage it. I'm going to wait and see what, if they come out with fixes for everything. And I'm not going to be like, you know, first one buying it when, 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 when they come out with a brand new design for a MacBook pro, but maybe if like six months, a year down the line, they don't have people don't have those serious issues. Like there might be little things here and there, but if not everyone's having an issue, I'll look into buying a newer MacBook um, because I don't really have a choice. And that this, this brings me to my next problem with with macOS is the fact that they don't give you choices. Like I would love to be able to develop for iOS on my Windows device, or even I'll I'll concede to developing on on Linux. 
Like, I don't mind Linux that much. It's it's fine. Like, I, I, I really don't have any problem with macOS, to be honest. If I could put macOS on my Windows computer and it wasn't like this hacky Hackintosh process, I would do that as well. No problem. I don't mind macOS. It's it's not that bad. It has its ups and downs. Uh, it's it has you know it, it's pretty pretty easy to use i like i like i like some of its features even more than windows uh but it, in in a sense i can't do that i can't i can't rely on a hackintosh i'm i'm a developer like i have to work and the second of all like i i can't hackintosh a laptop and expect that to be my main device like that would be crazy too um having to go through all these hoops to be able to make sure that everything works like xcode is has to work all the time for me. Otherwise, I, I lose time. I lose money. Like I'm working non uh, full time hours on a MacBook at this point, pretty much. Um, so I'm like I'm stuck in this weird zone where I have to just deal with this kind of semi functioning MacBook Pro um, and hope <laughs> hope that Mac releases a better product down the line so I can spend an exorbitant amount of money on it because I know it's going to be ridiculously expensive. Like it's going to be like, I'm probably going to be spending five to $6,000 on a laptop that, uh, you know, the performance I could get from a windows machine, I could probably get for way less than $2,000, like maybe $1,500 on a windows machine could outperform that $6,000 Mac OS laptop, um, or MacBook laptop. So it really sucks that they don't give you the option to either a develop for ios on a different machine or be be able to put mac os on your machine um and and if they were give you like good you know affordable options to be able to buy their equipment then i would understand why they wouldn't do that but they don't like all their options kind of suck right now like they're just bad everything like i don't there is no solution to my problem there is absolutely no solution to my problem like i could keep buying used macbooks all i want but uh it's essentially like that, that that's not a very good solution because they might have more problems they might have other problems like who knows like apparently all macbooks of all years always had like serious problems um so you you could run into that at any time and to fix a macbook is very expensive compared to fixing other computers because not, a lot of things are not interchangeable anymore especially the the newer versions so the newer it gets the less extensible the less fixable it becomes and you're kind of stuck in this weird cycle of buying another macbook that sucks and it keeps getting worse and worse. So I know a lot of like I, I've I've been ranting a lot, and I've I, I'm pro- I'm sure that if you're a fan of Mac, you've had issues with Mac as well, and you've had your positives and negatives. You've probably heard a lot of rants on Mac, but like I just want to point out the fact that they're they're being very, in my opinion, anti-competitive in in the sense for especially in terms of development, they should allow you to develop for their operating system. Or and their their both their operating systems on other devices like Android allows you to develop on uh, Windows and macOS. Actually, they allow you to develop on any machine you want: Chromebooks, Windows, Mac. Like it doesn't matter what you're developing on. I I, I don't think you can do it on your phone, but like that's just the power consumption issue. But uh, it's just it it frustrates me because I have no choice. Like it's not like I can I can just be like go to go to my uh, contract um, contractor and be like listen. Uh, I'm not supporting macOS anymore. Like I'm not supporting iOS. That's it. I'm done with it. But the, we we can't do that because iOS still has a very large market share. iOS still has the best tablets on the market. So if you want, like you know, your sales application to work on a tab on a on a tablet, 
that's iOS. Like there isn't a good solution. And trust me, I've looked everywhere for Android tablets that are good and reliable and all and across all the boxes that an iPad crosses, but there aren't. Um, there just there just isn't any Android tablet that can compete with an iPad at this point. And I don't see it happening in the future either because it's just iPads are just so so much more superior and Google's just not focusing on that segment uh, because I, I think because the iPad just dominates it anyway. They tried to put a couple of competitors in line, but they just weren't very competitive, <laughs> like to be fair. And then, okay, so, and the last thing I'm going to touch on is their support for their own products. Um, so they have, speaking of PWAs, right? Like we've talked about PWAs recently. Uh, I've been going down a rabbit hole with, with macOS. So we kind of need camera functionality in our current sales application that we have. Camera functionality is supported, like get user media, WebRTC functionality is supported in iOS 12. Fully supported. It works fine. I can create a website, use the camera, no problem. That's a new feature of Apple. They've supported WebRTC. Hooray for everyone. PWAs don't have access to full WebRTC support. They only have access to a very, very small subset, which I don't know who decided on. Like someone's just like, no, they can't do that. They can't support, they can't support streams. They can also support like screenshot captures. What? Who's, why? (laughs) Like what, why does PWA not support the full functionality of your own browser? Your own browser supports this. Like you can't take stuff away. Like that doesn't make any sense. So anyway, they have, and they did. Um, can't can't get uh, get user media stream especially stream to work on a PWA on iOS. So anything like a QR code scanner, which is kind of what we were wanted, uh, anything like a photo booth, won't work on a PWA. Next, they have a thing called a web view, or like anything has like Android has web views, uh, Windows has web views. I'm sure you know what a web view is. If you essentially just like a little container of of a of the website kernel so uh, or the the uh, engine kernel so if, a web if, view, if you click it just to make that simpler if you click yeah. it if you click a twitter link and it opens up inside of the app it opened up in a web view correct thank you matt so that's essentially a web view so web views are separate containers from what the pwa container is right and cordova the application packager for ios and android that we use uses a web view Instead of this PWA container, which is a separate container. I can't remember what it's called now, but it has its own name. Uh, it doesn't support WebRTC at all on a PWA. On Android, it supports it perfectly fine. And by the way, PWAs on Android with support WebRTC 100%. No problem. Like, they are perfectly fine. On iOS, doesn't support it. Not only does it not support it, there is no roadmap. Like Android has roadmaps. All the other web development industries have roadmaps. They're like, you know, we're working on this. Apple does not have roadmaps for pretty much anything. None of their products, none of their development stuff has a roadmap. You can't go there and be like, well, they don't support camera right now. But like they're they're saying that they are working on support in the future. They don't have that. They will never say that to you. They they will never commit to anything and and tell you that they're going to support in the future. So we can't rely on it. So now we're in a situation, and this is kind of contradictive to what I was saying before with the feasibility assessment, but we're in a situation where we're like, well, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to circumvent the whole 
camera issue. Like, do we really need camera support in our application? It's not like a super necessity, but it's a really nice to have. And it, I was talking about how you want your applications to be extensible in the future. Well, this really hinders that. Like if we were working on Android, no problem. And then again, Mac OS has to come, iOS has to come and be like, no, everything's different. You can't, we can't support this. We can't, we're not even going to give you a reason why we can't support this. And if you ask us, we're going to delay it even more probably. Like it's, that's what it seems like. I don't know if, I don't think I'm going to have any Apple employees listening to us right now, but if you are, please reach out and tell us different. Like, I would love to hear your side of the story on this, like why you don't support WebRTC why you don't support roadmaps like telling us if you're going to support it why all just why everything that i've just said just why why are you the way you are <laughs> that's that's kind of essentially what i'm saying um so on that note i think i've rambled on for long enough i'm sure that a lot of you are either agreeing with me or disagreeing with me or whatever you're whatever you're doing let us know like let what let us know what i should do that that's for that's the first thing and i'll pass this off to matt with the same questions so and and the audience let us know what i should do with the situation uh and second of all do you have hope that things will change uh in terms of macbooks in terms of pwas like should i put my hope in apple i'm not a fanboy of apple i'm not against apple in any way really people that are more inclined more interested in the company do you have hope now i I think i know matt's answer but i'll pass it off to him anyway uh i have a really weird answer okay (laughs) um not about the hope thing but (laughs) i don't use apple products that often to be blatantly honest i don't own a macbook like the company like the company owns a macbook uh well like the one that mike was just describing to be clear and um well okay my first i'll I'll adjust the i'll adjust the first thing that was fresh in my brain is the is the uh the issues you're having specifically with this macbook so the issues with this macbook i'm wondering whether that this is why it was sold as used that would be my first alarm now i think you said you talked to the individual and they said they didn't see the issue and it is like a really specific strange issue that like could have been there and they didn't notice maybe or something uh, yeah. Or it could have been from like the wipe, like maybe the reinstallation screwed it up. You know what I mean? Like it's a really specific issue. Um, mm. So God knows whether they were running an old OS and then you reinstalled and then in, up, updated all the way. You know what I mean? And then that yeah. that's what did it. So it, like, you know, I'm not blaming them or whatever, but it could have been like that could be the thing. But who knows? Like mm-hmm. it's a used product, you know, that goes for any, that goes without saying. Uh, so there's that. I'd also say that I, I do see problems with MacBooks. So I, I, I my one friend uh, um, years ago, I think it was probably maybe two years ago, maybe one year ago now, he had a problem where his uh, his MacBook stopped reading his hard drive. He thought the hard drive had failed and we found out it was the cable and how we found out was obviously we replaced the hard drive. It didn't work. And then we were like, okay, what's going on here? We looked it up and apparently those cables go all the time. We purchased a replacement and then just last, I want to say last week, but I think it was last month. I had to replace it again. Same cable. And so it's clearly like a problem. Like, and it's like, I would say it's at the engineering level. If it's breaking that much, like it's a hard drive cable that with also like an IR uh, sensor on it as well. Like it's a dual like function cable, but basically it's like, I think it's because there's too many right angles in it. Like you have to bend it with a bender before you put it in the computer and you have to bend it like maybe four or five times. 
in 90 degree angles. Jeez. Because it like it goes it goes like un- it goes from the side, so it plugs into the hard drive. It could, then goes the cable then goes under the hard drive. There's a split in it where it goes to the IR, and then it goes up to a wall like a like in t- inside, and it goes so 90 degree there goes up, 90 degree into a shelf with two screws to secure the cable. Then it goes back up again, so that's another 90 degree, and then it goes 90 degrees again to go along the board. So wow. it's like. I think that might be the thing because I think it's getting pinched because it's like an aluminum back. So when you're bouncing around, because it's a MacBook, I think it's getting pinched. But like what I mean is, is like the reason why I bring this up because I know that's another MacBook. What I'm bringing, the reason why I bring this up is like for this price, yes, we're human. Yes, there's engineering problems. But for a hard drive cable to be failing this frequently is a little bit ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. You were mentioning keyboard problems. I haven't experienced them myself. Definitely heard about them. That's really bad. Uh, I remember my other buddy, he had, he bought a new MacBook last year around there, maybe two years ago, one year ago, something like that. He was saying he didn't have enough space. I was like, oh, let's buy a new hard drive or whatever. And he's like, oh, I can't. Everything's soldered on. Can't buy a new, can't buy a new hard drive. So I was like, all right, I guess that's it. Buy a new $3,600 MacBook then. Um, now again, I haven't confirmed that that's true. Whether he can, that's can, true. Yeah, it's true. Okay, but I haven't confirmed yep. whether I can open that one or not. Because this other one I was mentioning with the broken cable was an older one. So, yep. so I mean, yeah, there's problems, and I would say yes, there's glaring problems sometimes. Um, I would say that Apple will oftentimes try to innovate too much. If that sounds like, I mean, that sounds stupid, uh, but I would say they try to innovate too much in that they try to do things like, oh, we're gonna go super thin with the this keyboard you know, cause we want the computer to be even thinner and it's like, dude, like it's a MacBook, like it's pretty thin. It's like, no, no, I want it to be thinner, thinner, thinner. And then they're introducing problems for little to no benefit in my opinion. Um, I mean, I'm not one to talk about maybe thin and lights. I mean, I do have a, a Samsung uh, windows 10 tablet, which is super nice. If I need to expand the storage of that, I don't know if that's possible, like to be totally, you know, clear, uh, placing the RAM in that thing, as far as I know, is not possible. You know, it's certainly not, you know, undo a screw and pull the back off. You know, it's it's certainly a, an all-in-one. I'd have to go to a Samsung specialist or look up a guide or something. Uh, so, but that was $800, to be fair. Yes, it was $800, and, and I knew what I was getting Canadian. into. This is a tablet that I'm literally throwing into a bag, and I'm, like, using it as, like, a little, almost like a, a like an advanced word processing device. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a $3,600 device and I knew exactly what I was getting into. Um, yep. and, and a tablet bounces around more than a MacBook usually anyway. So it needs to be all glued together generally. Um, generally speaking, like I said, but now this is my weird part. I don't use Mac products. I don't personally like the OS. Uh, I don't like, like, I don't, I just don't like the software all that much. I do like the software on iPads to be clear. I don't like the software on the Mac OS. If I was Apple, I think they're doing the right move. I know that sounds really stupid, but how convenient would it be if you were running a business where everyone was using your product, your add-ons, your software, your hardware, uh, your apps, all the commission comes to you, third-party things. If somebody buys a subscription or buys something in your uh, from an app that was downloaded from your store, you get a commission on it. Um, and I think there's some exceptions in there, but generally speaking, you're getting commissions from, from app sales. Uh, you're getting commissions from like all that type of stuff. You have software yourself, something like Final Cut, those type of things. You have software yourself, so you're bringing people in. And the best part about it all is like now, 
you know, MacBooks are, <clears throat> let's just say they're not user repairable. Um, you know, maybe you can do it. You know, you and I, you and I do have, you know, knowledge of computers, but what I'm telling you right now, if I had a MacBook and it broke, I'd go to the genius bar and just give them my firstborn. Um, that's basically the, the, the new MacBooks we wouldn't be able to do. We need like surface soldering machines and stuff like that. Like we, we can't touch the new MacBook. And I think that's a good decision for them. Mm-hmm. And, and I, under, and that, that, that opinion is not from a consumer. Like I am a consumer and I hate that, but I also really understand it as an entrepreneur is what I'm trying to get at is I understand that like if, if we could make, if or not even we, like if, if, if everyone here, anyone listening to this show that makes websites, if you can make websites where no one could ever go in and edit them, but you, and you charge a subscription, how useful is that? How, would you do that? Probably. I wouldn't do it though. I still wouldn't do it. I, you're too ethical. I think. I think you're yeah. too ethical in, in it's, the it's capitalist. An, it's thing. an ethic thing. But but and I, I but the thing is is that I don't. I'm not fully against the whole ecosystem thing that you're talking about. I'm not fully against it. If and this is a big if, and this is the main my main problem right now. If they had good options, they don't. Like if they had an option across the scale, or if they had good products at you know even the thirty six hundred dollar range. If they had a good product there, which they don't, they don't have a good product at thirty six hundred dollars. What would you say that that isn't good about the newest MacBook? Like what failure rates? The fail. So specifically that, like the quality. Specifically failure rates. Yes, specifically and uh, mostly that's it. Uh, The other thing is, is that I I don't agree with their uh, like hardware choices either. They're I, I like AMD. I'm a huge fan of AMD. But they don't have the best products right now for graphics users. And I don't agree with the fact that they only offer AMD products in their MacBooks right now for graphics. Because NVIDIA just has better options, especially in mobile markets. Definitely, yes, yes. Like 100%. So when you're paying $5,000 for a product, I want the best option in it. And again, I am an AMD fan. My entire system is AMD. It's a Ryzen with a Vega in it. But I am... I don't like it when they do these exclusivity deals with with pro, with people because the the users are the ones that get screwed. So they have like the 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 thirty six hundred dollar MacBook that I'm talking about has an RX five 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 in it, which what whatever that is, it's worse like significantly worse than a ten sixty performance. And this is we're talking computer uh, talk right now. Um, so we're talking like, about components. Yeah, talking about graphics cards in in general. It's the performance of like a a $200 graphics card, 200 US graphics card. No, a little bit less, sorry. Like a $150 US graphics card in a $5,000 MacBook Pro. Where if they were fine with putting Nvidia into the, in there, they could have the performance of, you know, a $500, $600 graphics card in there and keep that same thinness and stuff like that. Um that I I find that to be terrible as well so again two things failure rate and that uh and obviously the price if they didn't if they had all three of those if like if the failure rate was acceptable um if not every single tech youtuber in the world was talking about the fact that they're experiencing it not just it happening they're actually experiencing these issues that makes me think that it's extremely widespread um if that wasn't the case, then I wouldn't have as much of an issue with what you're saying, where they would just lock you into their ecosystem and you have to buy their products, but everything worked great together, stuff like that. And and from an ethical standpoint and from a business standpoint, I, I understand where they would be coming from and stuff like that. But considering that they don't, considering that they have crap offerings on the market currently for portable computing, 
it's a bullshit it's a bullshit system that that's what i'm saying i i, oh, I agree with the failure rates for sure like that's one thing um and like when i say i'm like you're, not, you're being too ethical like i mean i'm not like you and i aren't exactly like the tyrants of like the oil <laughs> like you know what i mean like we're not exactly like oil barons that are being like total tyrants in the space you know if there is an oil baron to web, web development like equivalent type person you know we cut people deals and stuff like that if they have a budget but um the thing is i think is that is what i'm trying to say is is that they want to, or at least what it seems to me, is that they want to try to keep those those prices down and those profits up. And this whole, like, right-to-repair movement, I think, is just going to get overshadowed by this type of stuff. Like, if I was Apple, and, and, and this is serious, if I was Apple and they this right-to-repair movement is going on, I would start engineering my MacBooks such that they could not be repaired. Because if you... Well, that's... If you engineer, they, are, they are doing that. Right, but I mean, like... I think, and I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, clearly, as we've discussed in this episode, but one of the things is, is that I would engineer it such that, not that just so that my, this particular model can't be repaired. I would start engineering systems that could never be, like, couldn't even be changed to a repairable or a replaceable component. Like, so, right, like right now, I we could replicate, like, we could with components, uh, assuming there was like a, you know, obviously because every laptop is a custom motherboard, but let's just hypothetically say we had a, an old school motherboard from an old MacBook that was up to today's speed standards, uh, you know, up to today's technology. We could put in the equivalent amount of RAM. We could put in that CPU, that GPU. We could do that and have it be all modular and open up the back just like that my buddy's older MacBook and just like the one you bought. We could do that. But yeah, no, who who would do that? No, 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 no. What what I'm saying is, is that you could today, like if, if, if legislation gets passed for right to repair, you could build, you could build that MacBook. Like, like App, Apple can build that MacBook in with modular parts. They just don't. I'm saying they need to engineer it so that it can never be modular because I wonder whether legislation will force them to go back to the more modular ways. Like, you can have 8 gigs, 16 gigs, 32 gigs of RAM without it being soldered to the board. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, Apple needs to design a special that. system that has that needs to be soldered for a certain technological reason. Because I would assume that that gets them around the legislation. Like... If if you have a new tech piece of technology and they're like, oh, right to repair, and it's like, no, 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 there's like an isotope in there, like or whatever the nuclear stuff is, you know, there isn't one in a MacBook to be clear. But like, if you were designing some sort of nuclear product, and like they're like, oh, right to repair, and the guys are like, hell no, you know, you need to be, you need to have a nuclear license to get in there, you know, that that type of stuff would get around the legislation. I think, and again, I think, not a lawyer. Designing something so that it can never be modular again, can never be repaired again, or can never be like put together like by a user again, is the way they should be engineering their products. Now, I disagree with that as a consumer. I would love for them to have computers that are just like anything else, where I can replace the hard drive, replace the RAM. Uh, I would love that. I think that that's the best way to do go about it. Uh, I do use a, I do make, or I, I do make, I do like have a custom computer beside me. I have a laptop back there that is, uh, you know, we've replaced the hard drive a couple of times and like done some other work to it and stuff like that. Like I do, cause I, we have the expertise. It saves literally hundreds of dollars. You know, you can, you can just buy a component. Uh, actually this computer to my right is going to be undergoing some work. Hopefully this week we bought a better graphics card for it for an insanely cheap price. And I'm going to be, you know, taking out the ones that are in there and putting in a new one. 
and 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 I, I I do I'm a proponent of that. I want to be clear. Like I don't like people would say like oh you're evil. You're just one of those apple sheep. I'm not an apple sheep. I don't have a MacBook. I don't I don't care. But I I, I, yeah. I don't disagree. You're, you're playing devil devil's advocate essentially. I'm playing devil's advocate and I'm putting myself in the shoes of Apple. If yeah. I'm there and I, and they say what decision we need to make, I'd be like we're going to maximize profits and we're going to minimize minimize costs. You know that's just the way it is. Now I now the 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 quality concerns is bad. That that's fucking bad. Um, yeah. especially for those. It's prices. Embar- embar- embarrassing if I the is the right word for it for them. Like I I I would be very embarrassed if I was Apple right now. Right. Right. I would, I would agree. I'd agree with you there. Like, it's not good that your keyboards don't work. Like of all the things, like, I mean, I've had a broken keyboard in my, you know, my laptop history, but it wasn't that bad. Um, and stuff like that. Uh, I've definitely had, I've definitely had issues like that. Um, I've, and we've all had issues with like Ram and, and all that type of stuff. But the issue here is that like, I've had an issue with this, like this computer to my right, right here has had a graphics card fail. It's had an SSD fail. It's had uh, a fan fail. It's had resonating issues. It's had, um, or several case fans fail. It's had a Ram stick fail. Like, uh, you know, it's had a lot of, it's, there's a lot of, this thing, this thing had a lot of problems with it. And you know, it's seven years old now or eight years old, something like that. But it's had a lot of problems with it. You know, the repair cost was a hundred dollars. Maybe I bought some new case fans cause those aren't warranted obviously. And uh, the rest of the stuff was like, just shipped it in for repair and or replacement and got a new one uh, with a lifetime warranty. And I put it in myself, but if I had to pay a tech, you know, it'd be a hundred bucks, 110 an hour or whatever the standard is now. And, and, but the thing is, is with an, with Apple owning that, even that part from what I've seen, and I've seen very little, but from what I've seen, the genius bar or, or an Apple, Apple authorized reseller is a very expensive. I think the genius bar might be the most expensive in most cases, extremely expensive. And they do things like, isn't there something like touch ID won't work or something like that? If you don't get an Apple certified part or something like that, it's not only touch ID anymore. That's, that, that's what I was going to butt in and say is like, you're, you're saying that they should develop a technology that makes it unrepairable. They have, they developed a chip called a T2 chip that detects all components, all major components of your laptop and gives them specific IDs. And this is a soldered on chip that you can't buy anywhere. So and if and you can't program, they have a proprietary like they have it programmed proprietarily. So if you replace a part, it will just shut down that laptop. You'll, it won't work. Pretty smart. Like uh, like th- that's yeah. my first response. Yeah, pretty and, smart. And, that, like, and their and their reasoning for that, like you said, with the whole isotope thing, is that their preve- th- that T two chip is in charge of all security for the device in sense of like people trying to hack into your BIOS and stuff like that. That's what it's in charge of. So that's their excuse for the right to repair. So they they're way ahead of you on this, <laughs> on this movement, this right right to repair movement. They're not like they're not part of it, in my opinion. Like they, no one's going to be forcing Apple to to do this. And and unfortunately, and the thing is, is but, like this is this is the type of stuff too that you know the you know a- a- Apple's really big, and a lot of people will say you know Apple's too big to fail. Um, but you know it, people like us is a good example. Like you're asking what to do. Like what do I do? Yeah. Uh, and, and and the thing is, is like, we don't have, you know, $3,600 to spend every couple of years. And, and mm-hmm. if you have to go, you know, you can't be, you can't be programming for a Mac on a Windows machine. You know, you, you can do the code, but you can't be compiling for that Mac uh, and for, for the iOS device, you know. And so, and, and if you go online to Instagram, like, you know, we're obviously big in the Instagram now, you know, the big boys at 2,000 followers. But like, uh, if, <laughs> if you, uh, 
If you go onto there, you'll see you'll see developers left, right, and center that have MacBooks. You know, I, I don't even know anyone that has a. I can't even think of anyone off the top of my head that has a PC. I saw one post about a PC where the guy was selling it because he wanted to buy a MacBook. And there, we went to a a startup event in Hamilton, and everyone had a MacBook except for one guy had a Windows machine and one guy had a Linux machine of all things, a Linux machine like like heaven forbid. Uh, and I, well, I was shocked I mean, to see like, that sh- thing. To be honest, I, I was I wasn't too shocked to see that, I, but I was shocked to see the Windows machine, <laughs> just because of what I was saying. Like, if you're a serious developer and you're taking any project on, like if you're like a, an entrepreneur, then why are you limiting yourself by buying a window? You're like you're being you're being dumb almost by buying a Windows machine. That's how it. That's how Apple makes it seem, because you're limiting yourself in your opportunities. Like if 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 you only have a Windows machine and you only have a certain amount of money, you can't go out and buy a new laptop every five seconds. And a developer comes to you and be like, oh, we need you to develop an iOS application or we need you to, you know, port this, our site that is our, is an HTML to an iOS device. You can't do that now because you've made this decision to be a Windows person. It sucks because I like Windows a lot. Like, and I'm so used to Windows, but I can no longer, like, because I chose this profession, uh, and I'm sure there's other professions like that have the situation I can no longer be a Windows person fully. I have to embrace all the operating systems kind of thing and it just sucks. Like you're saying, they're not giving me a choice. The thing the thing is too with this is is like the one solution is the first thing I could think of is like I mean obviously you're having issues with this used MacBook, but if I needed to be compiling for Mac, I'd be I mean stop very stubborn. I'm I'm pretty stubborn when it comes to stuff uh as Michael Michael tell you, but uh and I'm also a, basically a Windows fanboy at this point too to to you know full disclosure. I'd be buying a used MacBook, putting it on the side and RDPing into it and uh, using that to compile. And I'd be doing all my stuff on my PC and I'd be RDPing from my PC to it. And it it would cost a lot more money, uh, but it'd be, you know, cheaper than buying a, a full MacBook. And I would still be using my Windows machine and then occasionally be like, oh, I got to compile for Mac. And I would do it on there. And, and that's really counterintuitive so, for mobility, though. Like, I can't be but, bringing but, two computers with me everywhere. But but what you're saying is is an option that that is that is actually an option that we haven't even brought up in this case and that that I could technically do. Oh, that yes, yeah, so there you go. Do that. Yeah, like <laughs> what you're saying, like have a, have literally a dedicated Mac in your house that's always connected, always on, uh, to the to the network, and then RDP into it. Yeah, that's that's not a bad option. Because uh, I've been doing so, I've been so, doing that with a, like uh, I have a media server and stuff like that, and it's I'm slowly spinning it up to manage. Um, my entire family's photos and stuff like that. Uh, and, and it's going to be doing, it's going to be running other applications as well. And that, that's a Linux machine. But like my, my thought always is if I don't want to deal with it at the desk, I'll deal with it in, it's not an, I almost said the data center sent, like obviously I don't have a data center in the house, but like in terms of I'll deal with it in an infrastructure, I have an in-home infrastructure. I don't want to deal with that at my desk. I'll add it to my infrastructure and just deal with it on a remote basis. And if something goes wrong with it. I'll replace it. And that's, that'll be the end of it. But but it does suck for mobility. Like I can't be yes. bringing crap. Like I can't be bringing this MacBook with me. Um, or I can't be bringing well, this I mean, like like say I bought an old Mac tower. I can't be bringing an old Mac tower with me. You know. But you don't need like if you have it connected all always. You don't need to. The, the The issue that I see can be like availability. Like if your network goes down, you're kind of screwed. Like if you're on an extended vacation and there's no one home. You know what I mean? Like it, it's a risk that you're doing what you're doing with this. It's it's kind of like a risk reward situation where you're allowed to bring a Windows laptop that's a lot cheaper and you can use this old MacBook that is just connected to the network. But you're risking the fact that if you're on an extended vacation, you're using and you, you need to get into that Mac, you're going to be screwed. Yes. Uh, there's a potential. And like you said, 
and I did this, I, I did this once I brought two devices with me and it was a disaster. Like, first of all, airport security, having to take out two laptops, putting them into two separate bins that extended my airport security was real big pain. Second of all, just the head, the, the weight of having two laptops in your bag is painful and annoying. And just like having to worry about the two laptops always like when you're traveling, like it's just, it, it is a huge pain. And that's why I decided to get a more powerful Mac so I could bring that. But I mean, in the future, if if Mac keeps screwing up like this, I could, I might potentially just build a good Hackintosh, like little desktop connected to a network and just RDP into it from anywhere I am. Maybe even buy rack space from a server <laughs> farm so that I can guarantee a network connection or something. I don't know. You, that, you know, what's funny is... That's not the worst idea. There's a there's a, actually a data center that does that where you can rent Macs. Yeah, I saw a video on that on YouTube. Actually, just to interrupt you. There. I wonder how much that would be. Is, like, I wonder, I wonder how viable that that solution is. Because I, I have thought about doing something like that too. I'd fucking do that, honestly. Like, like I said, like I, I was in the networking field for a bit, and and in the in the net in the not necessarily directly networking. Uh, well, I did do that for a bit too. But a lot of a lot of my time in the professional field at BlackBerry was doing like just using servers, and so it did shift my mentality of, oh, I can't run it on here. Do I gotta? Do I have an app? Do I have an appliance somewhere I can toss it to? Because I don't want to do it here. That mm-hmm. that's always been my mentality. Is like, oh, I'll just toss it to the remote stuff. I don't give a fuck. Um, yeah. That's, but yeah, that's a good. Like, if we can buy a, a VM somewhere, like, it'd be a VM. It'd be, if you buy a VM yeah. somewhere, hell yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Do yeah, it. Why, why not? Yeah, I mean, like, if you're if you don't have the network connection for it, then you're kind of not having a good experience developing anyway. So you need a network connection for development. I don't know. It, 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 I think it's a, I think it's a viable option. I think if you think it through enough and you can find a good hosting solution, like if you can find a good VM, Mac VM, even that you pay for monthly, then it might be, it might be an option. I just think like for, for me, my, my thought process was I want, I just want one computer that can do it all kind of thing. And I want to try this Mac OS ecosystem. And so far I'm not digging it. So Maybe I will move on to a more remote, remote system in the future. That's a good call. Can you can you explain to me one thing too? Also, is that can you explain to me the? Uh, I know we discussed it, but I just the Xcode situation because uh, the first thing that came into my mind is that like Android devices oftentimes only get two years of updates, not in terms of like programming or whatever, but I usually only like you know, you'll get two or three updates, like big big like uh, like a full system wide update if you will yeah, yeah yeah um and then yet iphones do get longer support for sure yeah something around five years for iphone which is big and, and tablets yeah so i'm just wondering like what's the xcode situation again exactly like was it is it due to the macbook i just can't remember so the macbook has is on high sierra the old macbook yeah there's the new mac os version called uh, mojave Mo- Mo- mojave mojave yeah that's probably how you say it uh Mojave so the new and it supports a newer version of Xcode which is their IDE like their uh, coding application to actually make iOS apps there's no other coding application to make iOS apps because again Apple Xcode is not the greatest application either I have I have my beefs with it as well I wish that I could just use my VS code but whatever that's a different I'm not going to go on that tangent anymore um <laughs> so essentially what happened was I updated my tablet to the new iOS version which is 12.2 because all of our clients tablets are on the newest iOS version almost all the time. Right. Like they update automatically. Um, so I need to be on that version to make sure that the application runs correctly. 
I went back to my old MacBook just because my new MacBook was having that issue. So, I, and I had to quickly do something. I went back to my old MacBook, tried to run the same application that I was developing on that MacBook before on the new ta- on, on my tablet with the new op, uh, 12.2 update just told me does not support 12.2. You need to upgrade your Xcode. I go to upgrade my Xcode. It says you need a new operating system. I go to upgrade my operating system. It says it's not supported. So that's it. Done. <laughs> so the option that I had, there, there is an option to hack Mojave onto these older MacBooks, but apparently uh, like X, Y, and Z don't work on there. Like a bunch of different stuff doesn't work when you hack it on. And I was like, I'm not dealing with this. This is, I'll just use the new MacBook. Thankfully I got it to work to a certain degree. Like it's, it's working decently now. I I need to, I need to monitor some uh, processor uh, speeds, which I don't even know how to do in Mac OS. Like there's no app. I don't think there's an application that monitors Mac processor speeds. Go to the G's bar and ask them. Oh, jeez. If I went to the Genius Bar with this problem, they'd be like, well, you got to buy a new MacBook. There's no doubt in my mind that he wouldn't even do any sort of diagnostics. They wouldn't do anything. They would just tell me to buy a new MacBook. But, okay. Yeah, so that's that's essentially the problem with the whole updating thing. Um, but again, like, they, they supported that 2011 MacBook with High Sierra. And that's what, like, eight years of support. I'll I'll give them a pass on that. That's That's fine. You give eight years of support to your products. Now, Windows 10 technically still works on eight-year-old laptops, but still. Windows is a different animal because it, it, yeah, exactly. it, it, like, like, people would stick with their – back in the day anyway. Like back when – before Windows 10 started becoming like an iterative uh, OS, um, it basically it was like if you had Windows XP when you bought the computer, you just kept Windows XP until the computer broke. Yeah, exactly. So like that's – I'm not – I'm not I'm not downing Apple on their actual operating system. I'm not actually going after them for their update cycles. Their update cycles are actually very good, uh, and I, that that's kind of my problem. That I bought an older MacBook. That's fine, and it served its purpose really. It was cheap, and I got like two years of work out of it, so or a year and a half of work out of it. So I can't really complain. Um, that's fine. It's the other issues that I brought up that really get me. Get me, go, get me going, but I think I think draining, we gotta wrap it up your because, energy there, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, my yeah, I've I've ranted on for too long, and I'm I'm starting to starting to wind down now. Yeah, certainly. So, uh, yeah, so let us know what you do. I know a lot of you guys out there do use Mac products, and uh, we're clearly newer to them, uh, being Windows fanboys, and I don't know anything about them for the most part. Uh, so I'll direct those I'll direct those questions if I'm the one that received them I'll direct those uh, or those solutions hopefully if you have them for us uh, to Mike if you can send those to the send those to us on you know Instagram or uh, uh, Twitter or whatever uh, whatever everything has a messaging app now I was about to say like just I have a, I have a messaging folder so send it to me whatever that is so check us out on the socials uh, but anyway yeah I'm gonna run the old conclusion now um, so. Thanks for listening, and uh, make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can follow us on the socials via at HTML, all the things. That's on Facebook and on Instagram. You can also find us on Twitter, which is at HTML everything. We are on Medium, and we are on GitHub. And we are also on, as previously mentioned, Patreon, which is patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Check out the existing tiers. Hopefully we get some more in the future, and give that a go. Feel free to comment comment or review on the uh, on the platform that you're listening to this on and we are signing off. Mm-hmm.